Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids are discussing creating a safe haven for learning. Wouldn't it be delightful if for every training session, everyone turned up ready to listen and engage actively? But Dorothy we aren't in Kansas anymore. And everyone shows up to training with some kind of baggage, good or bad. They may consider your training as a punishment. They may have had a training experience with facilitators who consider themselves the master of their domain and treat you like you don't know anything. They may have participated in training experiences where other people were unkind. They are also coming with days or weeks worth of work on their mind. So how do we get around that? When learners feel they are in a safe haven, they are more likely to engage in the learning and to take on challenges and pursue their goals. They are also more likely to experience lower levels of stress and anxiety while they're in the classroom environment. So it all starts with prioritizing safety and inclusivity. It comes down to building trust, communicating, and modeling the behaviors we want to see. So the big question on the table is, how can we create a safe environment for people to shake off all of this training baggage? How can we create an environment where people feel safe to contribute experiences and their stories. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome everyone to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat in our off week before I go on vacay next week. Yes, yes, super excited by that. But I thought, let's get another coffee chat in before the vacation, because then it'll be a few weeks before we meet again. Ah, cattail sighting. Yeah, it'll be probably about like three weeks towards the end of the month before we meet again based on the coffee chat schedule. So I wanted to get another one in before I took my break. And I'm really excited about this topic. I'm thoughtful about this topic. And it goes right along with everything that we had been discussing so far this year. You know, when we talked about building capabilities, and how do we talk to people who may have learning myths still stuck in their heads? How do we handle that in a safe way? How do we build our skills for debriefing and reflection? So all of these conversations led to this logical conclusion. We have to do all of the topics, you know, the coffee chat topics we've had up until this point, but we need to do them in a safe way. We need to create that environment that allows people to feel safe to say something and we can give them the gentle redirect, right? Or give them that safe space to reflect and think about lessons that they've learned, right? And 
So it seemed logical to me to have a conversation now about how do we go about that? What techniques can we or should we be using when it comes to providing a safe haven, you know, for our learners, regardless of that's in a virtual environment such as this or a live environment. If you are lucky enough to be doing classrooms right now, then that's great. I am jealous of you. So how does that work? Well, I did write the blog, right? So I wrote the blog this week, seven ways where we can create a safe environment for learners. And that's something that we can take off of. But I really want to hear from you what your thoughts are around creating that safe haven for learning. What are some of your techniques that you use? Because you know what? I feel that you all are great source of information for this. Because let's look at the community that we've built here. I feel that this is a really safe place for discussions. We've had many discussions you know, about a variety of different topics. And it always feels very generous and warm and kind. So this is why I wanted to have this conversation with this particular group today. And Lillianne, your glasses, you hit it out of the park today, girl. Love them. Lillianne has wings on her face. I love it. All right. So let's kick off this conversation. So what are your feelings around creating a safe haven for learners, either in the virtual space or live space, or even if you're able to do that in an e-learning environment, then yes, as well. So who wants to kick off this conversation about creating that safe haven? I'll go. Thanks. I was really excited about today because this is an area that our learning team lives every day as we are facilitating, whether it's in person or virtually, and as we are writing curricula activities for others to implement. And so one of the places that we start with is kind of the assumption that people are coming into this space with negative experiences, not just in learning, mm-hmm. but also negative experiences with each other that they're bringing in from outside the learning space. And so we always start with some group norms and are really thoughtful, intentional about some of those, uh, paying attention to those classroom behaviors to see if there's any signals that there may be a lack of trust because of previous interactions with an individual. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, if we can get information ahead of time on that, that's fabulous, but we don't always know that. But it's kind of the assumption that we operate from that it's not going to automatically be a safe space. Right. And so those group norms grounding that and letting people know a part of our group norms is always do what you need to do to take care of yourself. There may be trauma triggering within the interactions. And we will do our best to minimize those, to prevent those, and to support you when it happens, but to be aware of your own triggers and emotions and, you know, providing people the option to pass, to opt out for a moment, like whatever they need to do to take care of themselves. And then that's also a signal to us that one, it's nice because we're usually partnered together. So there's usually at least two of us, if not three, but then there's somebody that's able to behind the scenes, check in with that person, provide individualized support for them, identify what do they need 
in order to be able to come back and participate in the space or in the activities. I appreciate what you're saying because I think there's there's a lot of truth there, especially in the area where as facilitators, as trainers, we assume that everyone feels safe. And we take that assumption to a variety of different levels without really clearing the air first with making sure that everybody's on the same boat with us. So I think what you're talking about in regarding to group norms or even um, ground rules, that's really important. I think it's a great point to bring up. That was really helpful, Don. Thank you. Kind of forget. I discussed this with my team yesterday and they were shocked. Oh, other people feel unsafe. Wow. We've already put a lot of things in place. And when we're training new people to take on our jobs, we let them know that you're feeling nervous up there. Think about how they feel. These mm-hmm. are people coming new often into this industry. You have to be with us for 14 days. So that the 10 that would maybe alternately work with you are try to be really aware. We start with day one, vital behaviors. And one of our behaviors that we've chosen is that people will speak up and, hey, we know you're not ready for that. And you'll be attending several classes over the next year to help you learn to speak up, but know the culture already says speak up. But one of our canned speeches that who's ever leading the room gives as we begin to introduce ourselves is my job only exists to make you a success here. Mm-hmm. And for the rest of your days here, that keeps me employed. So <laughs> we want you to be a success, right? Right. We also do a daily two-on-one with each student and it is time consuming, but we sit with them for around 10 minutes. We have just four solid questions. What made you feel like a success today? Mm-hmm. Did you struggle with anything today? Those kinds of things. And also give them that space to be able to say, I think I'm falling behind. You know, we give them that. And part of where we're at is we have certain levels. We think today you would be here. Tomorrow you might be slid over here and each thing builds. So a lot of it is that verbal, almost a hand holding every mm-hmm. day with these people, follow up surveys to say, you know, do you still feel that way? We are really trying to also be more walk the walk. <laughs> Not just talk the talk, right? Yeah, we it, yeah. We want to do and show. And as we start to do knowledge checks with people, another one of our canned speeches has to do with it's an open book world. These are open book tests or mm-hmm. knowledge checks. Mm-hmm. I never want you to go into work and say, oh, how do you do this? And everyone goes, no, no, we won't tell you. You're supposed to already know. Mm-hmm. So we show them what's available, but also, we're trying to spread that culture. I like that because that prevents, when you talk about a safe place, let's talk test anxiety, right? You know, so I think the open book test portion of what you're saying is spot on. I think that's a great addition that I really hadn't thought about, although I'm a great proponent of open book tests. I think it really helps set the stage for that. And thank you, Lillian. That was a great list of where we can start with the team, right? And to help them understand that, you know, just because we feel it's a safe place doesn't mean that everybody else feels it's a safe place. So we have to have rules for ourselves as well as 
for the people who are in the learning environment themselves. So I think that's a great place to start. And Phyllis, I thought I saw your hand. Oh, Felice, I'm sorry. I'm working with a client. The client I've worked with in the past is very emotional. And he's now at a different organization. He's got a DEIJ initiative, a micro-credential for businesses in the Adirondack North Country. In the discovery work that I'm doing to really get a glimpse into who the audience is, there is so much emotion. And there's so much about businesses dying because they're not changing, they're not adopting, they're not adapting, they're losing clients, they're losing workers. And so they have run this pilot face-to-face and I'm helping them transition to online. And they talk a lot about how the stories really jar people and get them engaged in it and ready to make a commitment in this space in the face-to-face environment. And, you know, a direct translation of that is going to turn a lot of people off. And so hearing you talk, Lillian, you said some things I could pull out right away. So I appreciate that. And setting those rules and things like that. So any advice that folks can share that they've done something like this successfully and the words that I keep hearing over and over again is that people are going to feel judged in this space. Like I'm here because I'm not doing enough. Mm -hmm. And then at the other end of the continuum, this isn't even enough for me. Give me more. And that part I think I can deal with, but the other end of the continuum, I need some strategies for. Yes. And thank you for the ask. When we talk about creating that safe spot for speaking up, giving them that safe place in order to participate, do we let the participants know what that means? Got to back that truck up a little bit, don't we? So we say it's a safe place to speak up. We expect you to participate. But what does that look like? So what are your thoughts about that? Erica? I can't speak to anything that I think is as meaningful and intense as Felice has brought up and, you know, working with the veterans, but I can try to align an experience I've had by just working with people who are bilingual speaking where English is not their primary language. Mm -hmm. I think there's that delicate balance between you can create an expectation of how you would like people to show up to learn. For example, like letting them know what is a helpful and a positive environment for them to be in. And then I think we also have to be realistic about our audience. So two things that had um, occurred for me in observing a training that was provided to an audience I used to participate with is that we had a lot of people in the field and we had several individuals where English was not their primary language. And so it was interesting to see how we were attempting to and whether or not, you know, our clients themselves were responsive to that idea of like, okay, is the expectation of them not being in their field vehicle sitting and, you know, trying to consume the learning on their mobile device, you know, if that's not going to be considered like an acceptable or a preferable environment for them to learn in, do they have an environment that is what is being considered acceptable, such as do they have a space where it's like a room that they can go to? Secondarily to that is because we had individuals who are participating who might not have been primary English speakers, 
to create a sense of psychological safety, one of the things that myself and my peer tried to help guide our clients in understanding is that engagement doesn't mean, oh, this person's got to be on the camera and that they can Mm. only engage verbally. Mm -hmm. There can be a lot of great quality, as you see all the time in the coffee chats, that comes in the chat. And that can be something that feels more safe to individuals because of whatever the reasons may be. They want to think a little bit longer. Or in the example of the individuals who maybe are bilingual, non-primary English speakers, maybe they were concerned about how they would sound because they have to do a way higher cognitive lift, right? They have to consume the information in English, Mm -hmm. translate it into what might be their primary language, figure out what they want to say in a response. You know, that's probably thought in whatever their primary language is, then translate that into English and then share it with everybody. Mm -hmm. That's a lot more than a monolingual individual has to do. Therefore, as trainers, people who support the facilitators, those are also things that I think need to be thought about when we're considering this idea of creating that psychologically safe environment, both for these virtual format and the physical space. Thank you for that. You're absolutely right. It is a lot to process. And when I do workshops on virtual training, that's a point I like to make, but not necessarily from a person where English is a second language. I should bring that up. It's that whole processing time, you know, because when you're in that face-to-face environment, you can see the look on their face because you're a little more close up. So I can see their body language and I can see whether or not they're struggling with a question, you know, or you can see whether or not they're processing something and you have to take a breath and give it time. But it's also, you know, the person who might be struggling with the language itself. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. Doug, I saw your comment in the chat. Was that in regards to the veterans question? I mean, as with any, especially in person, people start walking through the door. It's about establishing that relationship, right? And creating that space. And a lot of times those initial one-on-one conversations, even just welcoming can set a tone. Right. If we come in pompous and away, seeing people teach on top of a on top of a stage or on top of a pulpit when it's not necessary, right? Or walking into the crowd, right? Are you accessible? Mm-hmm. So even that kind of body language kind of things to plant all of the hey, we want to establish criteria. And I think I forget who said it, walking the walk. It's absolutely that, right? So our personalities kind of create the environment. So a little humor, a little conversation, a little be consistent with that, honor that. I use, I do a lot of compliance training and man, acronyms are just crazy. And the military folks will absolutely understand acronyms. So <laughs> if I use something that doesn't make sense, because in my brain, you all know it, might not know it, but here you go. Stop me, make me explain it to you because that's my job here. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they'll do something. I'm like third grader version is what? Now there's that give and take of, I don't expect you to know anything. I don't know anything, but we're going to hear it. We're going to share. Those kind of things, uh, those are just examples, will open up that dialogue without being very blunt about, hey, I want you to share by actually making them Modeling the behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And you make such a great point about, are we accessible? What are we doing to model the behavior that says, we're okay if we're wrong. I'm all right if I don't know the answer. 
And so that's important for them to see. So that way they feel safe to say they don't know the answer. And I love that. And I think that's something that's really important that we don't necessarily address often enough, especially with subject matter experts who are trainers, right? Because they think that everybody's in their world, not to um, put subject matter experts who are trainers in their own unique group, because there are certainly trainers who are trainers that do that as well. But in particular with subject matter experts, they are subject matter experts for a reason because they're experts in a certain topic. And because of that, they fail to make themselves accessible for questions, you know, where somebody asks you a question, you're like, well, stupid, don't you know? It's like, no, I don't know. And it's all about, you know, creating that connection. So I really appreciate that you said that. Thank you. So it's interesting, Douglas, you brought up acronyms and you said if they don't know what the acronym means to let you know, do you feel it puts the onus on them rather than the onus on you? Because what if I don't want to, I don't want to say, I don't know that. How is that handled? It's just that give and take. I mean, and even virtually, right? Is that part of an engagement activity? It's like throw a couple up and see where they're at or even ask, all right, I challenge you to challenge me of uh, think of some acronyms that I would have no idea. So again, you've opened that flow of information back and forth if it's specific about acronyms, right? And the more that they're engaged, ultimately that in itself creates a space where they feel comfortable there and they're more willing to engage in whatever it is that we want them to. Mm-hmm. There's many times we touch people and we don't know that we've touched them as significantly as right. they are because they're just people that kind of hold that tight where mm-hmm. you get the conversation afterwards and you're like, man, I wish you would have brought that up in the class. But some people are boisterous and loud and don't know any better and other people are much more reserved, right? So Right. Well, that leads me to this question then because you guys know how my brain works. It's like, oh, look, squirrel. Is what are some of the different techniques for allowing people to ask questions. I'm interested in this because sometimes just asking people, do you have a question or who has a question out there? Some people are like Johnny on the spot, hands are raised. They are there. They are in it to win it. And then there are others that are like, well, don't put that spotlight on me. So how do we handle that? What are some of your suggestions for safely providing people a spot to ask? Pardon me. Hopefully you can see this on camera. This is actually a glow ball. Oh, uh huh. So I use this as the break ball, right? And I do an engagement and somebody gets points and I give them control of the break ball because sometimes I get passionate and we're going and we're going. And I'm not paying attention to time or their cognitive abilities at that point. So I give them a person the autonomy to say, yeah, enough time for you to not be talking and we need a break, right? So something similar to that that gives somebody the power or so the the spirit stick, right? You're in the circle and mm-hmm. you can only talk if you have the stick, but you make sure they pass the stick around. Have an open question. Something that's crazy. The engagement mm-hmm. stuff that we do on all these webinars. Where are you at? What's the weather like? What did you eat for, you know, what do you put on your toast? Something like that, that just starts conversations. The more conversations mm-hmm. that we have, the more comfortable people are. It's simple human nature stuff. Mm-hmm. I like it. What else you guys got? There's two things I'm thinking about. So going back to Douglas's point, like on a break. So I've also used if it's live and you can do it virtually too, but post just having post-its up that they can anonymously write questions to. 
And I also want to go back to the acronym piece too, to, still fairly new to my industry. And so I've been on both sides now. <laughs> so I was on the facilitator side that I'm like, okay, I know these or, you know, kind of like Douglas was being, you know, you kind of go through and you make that assumption that everybody's in the same brain space as you. But then I've been on the flip side where I'm like, I don't know what the heck this is. And I'm on a meeting and I'm like Googling the crap. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been there. <laughs> like, what does this mean in manufacturing? And so that prompted me to, you know, my organization is it's food manufacturing. We've been around a long time, but there's like not even a sheet that's like, hey, what are all these acronyms? So I actually started creating a sheet of, you know, kind of like a resource sheet of here's the acronyms here's what they mean this is what it looks like I still have to refer to it because they'll throw one out on a quarterly business call and I'm like what the heck is that again (laughs) so (laughs) it's uh so those are just some of the things um to give people permission and and I'll put myself out there and be like I don't know what does that mean just had a session this week where somebody brought something up and I'm like can you elaborate a little bit more on that because I don't even know what you're talking about (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so just help me and help everybody else that because it was a mixed meeting of departments and different knowledge and things like that. So I think I just, one of the things I do a lot is make myself very vulnerable of, you know what, you're the experts. You tell me, I'm just Mm -hmm. here to guide you and to help you take all this stuff that I'm giving you and how do you use it and how do you apply it in real life and make the participants really, they're not there for me, I'm there for them. I love that. And I think we've all used that technique to a certain extent where we pretend we don't know the answer, so to speak, right? And say, well, I don't know. What do you guys think? Actually, it's called the bounce back. That's the bounce back technique. I don't know. What do you guys think? Or you're asking the question in the group, like you said, Melanie, I'll ask the question. I'll think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask the question because I suspect that other people in this room don't know the answer. So I'm going to be the one who ponies up and asks. And I think that that's another way of walking the talk right? That's modeling the behaviors that we want to see. And hopefully the facilitator then models behaviors that say, oh, well, thank you for asking. Here we go. That's what it becomes. It becomes that symbiotic type of relationship between everyone. So thank you. Great points. I appreciate that. I saw in the chat here. So Tia, I don't know if you can come off mic and go a little bit deeper about how you use the mural boards about letting people anonymously post questions, because I love that idea. I think that's really great. So if you have the opportunity to, I'd love to hear from you on that. Yeah. Yeah. We've tried that in several of our sessions. We just put a link to the mural board right there in chat at the beginning, or sometimes we even give them the link beforehand. If they have questions as they're working through content or pre-work, you know, if they need to prepare in advance what those questions are, but really just where anybody can go out there, their name isn't there and they can just, put a sticky out there. We do have these sections sometimes where they can also have this yeah, but, and that was something one of our SMEs came up with where he's always getting questions from people who are like, yeah, that sounds great, but that that won't really work for me because you know, I, yeah, I'm supposed to do that, but I'm too low on the totem pole. I can't do that, whatever it is. And we found that that's a nice way for us to kind of address those questions and people to feel like they can kind of question what is being said as well. Like that's not realistic to me. And maybe we can show how it is or at least address maybe the validity of their concern. Mm-hmm. So that's just one of the things we've had some success with in our virtual sessions. I like that. Now that could be used in 
you know, in a live session as well, you could use a mural board or a, a jam board, you know, to use that same sort of technique. But also, as Jason said in the chat, you can use good old fashioned sticky notes too in the live session. Do you want to um, explain what you guys do with the sticky notes? We had six week long new hire courses and at, we would say, all right, everybody had sticky notes. If you have a question as you walk out, write it down and slap it on the back of the door. Mm-hmm. And then the facilitators, we would pull them off and look at them. And if we could answer them when everybody got back, we would just say, all right, we had this question. And we would deflect it back to group. You know, does anybody know the answer to this? And if nobody did, then we would you know, walk through the steps again or do whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But it was just a matter of, if you don't feel comfortable asking the question here, feel free to slap it up on the board. Right. Not unlike a parking lot, but it's, it's like a parking lot. But, right. But more like an exit ticket. Yeah. Right. And so you've got that exit ticket where in order to go on your break or at lunch or whatever, you know, you had to post something. You had to write something on a post-it note. I never made it a requirement. Okay. Because I didn't want to force people to have to okay. write a, a question. I wanted to say, if you've got any questions, just you know, put them up there. And if we got them up, hey, all right. No, we didn't, didn't have any questions. We must be doing great. Let's move on to the next thing. I like it. One of the one of the reasons behind me telling people that they should put something up there was because there was safety in numbers. Nobody yes. wants to be that lone person going up to the post-it note board and putting something there. And then all of a sudden that one person is in everybody's eye. So I would say that it doesn't matter what you put. You could say, this is cool. This is awesome. I love Shannon. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you want to put on your post-it note on your way out, but put something up there on your way out. That was my thought. I like where you're going with it too, to say, I don't want it to feel forced because you know we are trying to create a safe environment. So sometimes making it feel forced will impede exactly what it is we're trying to achieve. Yeah. And that's also the benefit of having multiple facilitators in the room is you can True. use that plant and they <laughs> can go stick a couple right. up there before people come out and they're like, oh, look, there's already a couple up there. I guess. I oh, I love that. Idea. A seed. Yes. Nice. I have colleagues who write healthy sexuality curriculum and train others to facilitate that curriculum across the U.S. and Canada. So this is something that comes up for us a lot when we are working with teenagers. Yeah, it can be very embarrassing and awkward for them to be in that situation. So we spent a lot of time figuring out how to make things anonymous and how to make sure that it is not obvious There's only two of us out of a group of 20 that actually asked a question back to Shannon's point of, you know, do I stand out because I'm one of the few people who put a sticky note up there. So having note cards and everybody writes something on the note card, even if it's just, I don't have a question or, you know, they write nothing. They just write the word nothing. Like we just tell them so that everybody's actually writing something. And it usually helps if it's more than one word. So that it's not obvious. I wrote the word nothing, but she's writing like 30 words on hers, giving them some kind of sentence prompt or example of what to write on it. And if they don't have a question and then passing it around or having a basket that everybody drops it in on their way out or yeah, just some form to make it anonymous. We've got facilitators who are super creative, so they come up with a lot of different ways. But those are really the two key aspects of whatever that method is, is does it incorporate 
being anonymous? And does it incorporate that everybody is putting something in? Yes. I love that idea. You know, pass the hat, write the word net. So everybody looks like they're writing something. I love that because again, it's that safety in in numbers thing. I see everybody else doing it. So I'm going to take this opportunity to ask the question that I want to ask. I love that idea. Thank you, Don. I also, we've got a few more minutes left and I wanted to also ask the group about setting the stage. So when we first get into a meeting and we do, you know, you do the warm welcomes, hello, everybody, yada, yada, yada. Okay. So we set the stage there with the warm welcomes, but how do you go about starting the conversation with the group and talking about this is a safe place? So we say that a lot. This is a safe place for everyone to contribute. This is a safe place to learn. How do we set the stage for what that means? Because how what I see as a safe place may be different to Don, may be different to Douglas, may be different to Felice, may be different to Todd, right? So I'm curious now, how do you go about setting the stage? I'd say real quick that the subject that you're discussing is going to help define that, right? If I'm talking about some, some OSHA compliance stuff versus talking to teenagers about sexuality, much different <laughs> setting your parameters, right? I go back to the, it's what environment are you creating for them to walk into, right? Is it staunch and stuffy? Is it, we're going to talk at you? Is it going to be, we're talking with you? If it's a softer subject, is your tone softer even, right? A little less animated, a little less energy, because not that it's going to be morose, but just if you're talking to people about very sensitive subjects, you have to take it with a, a little more sensitive tone to, again, establish your initial kind of temperature feeling. <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> when in doubt, comedy's never a bad thing. And that should not surprise you that I say something like that, Shannon. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But I love what you're saying, because what you're what you're saying here is know the topic and know how the topic is going to be reacted to by the audience, right? And make sure that those things kind of align. So if you're talking about a super serious subject, maybe disco Friday music coming into the room may not necessarily be appropriate. Disco Friday music should be inappropriate for most topics, like unless you're talking about disco Friday. Why? Disco Friday rocks. I'm just going to put that out there. This is a safe environment. I'm going to say Disco Friday rocks. Agree to disagree. (laughs) And so what else? So when we talk about setting the stage and setting up the environment, I think what you're talking about, Douglas, is really important. So it goes even further back than the warm welcome at the beginning of the event or session or class. It starts at the door. How are we even then setting the environment? You use the word environment. So how are we using the environment to set the stage? What techniques are you guys using? Not so much just at the door, but even before the door. So depending on, on to Douglas's point, depending on the subject, I may in the invites, you know, put some things in there. So there might be some thought-provoking questions I give them ahead of time or set some expectations about this is what we're going to be learning 
because I think sometimes, I'm going to go back to the sessions we just recently did, the title was not the expectation. <laughs> so they saw the title, here's what we're going to be doing, or here's the course that we're going to be training. But as they got in and got into the content, it wasn't quite what they thought it was going to be. And oh. for example, one of the topics was conflict in the workplace, but some of them thought it would be more like situational leadership, where we were giving them, you know, here's some models of how to handle conflict, some different strategies that way. But they were like, they were hoping for, if this happens, tell me what to do. <laughs> what are my choose your own adventure options kind of thing. So that was one of the things they try to do is upfront, be transparent. Here's what we're going to be talking about. Here's what we're going to be covering. So anyway, so that is one of the things that, you know, to try to alleviate some, whether it be anxiety or misconception about what we're going to be doing or covering. I love that. I think you're absolutely right. And that's spot on that we didn't bring that up before. We talk about communicating to the participants before they even get to the room, what the expectations are and not in a teachy teachy type of here are the rules kind of manner. It's really about using the tone, right? So the emails or the communications are in the tone that you want reflected in the classroom, if you will, environment and being clear, obviously, on course descriptions is always helpful. I do believe that that sort of communication, it all starts, right? It layers, it scaffolds, you know, especially as we discussed at the very beginning of this is that people have baggage. And I think it was you, Lillianne, who might've brought it up, or maybe it was you, Don, I'm sorry, where people have baggage. They've been in classroom environments that were not safe. You know, it was all about the facilitator, not about them, or maybe there was people who are rude or mean or condescending or whatever, you know, so there's baggage. And so now our role is even before they step into the room is to help clear up that baggage. So thank you for that, Melanie. And yes, I saw the comment in the chat. Is it clear that baggage or acknowledge that baggage? Oh, great question. That's the approach I've always taken. Great question. And maybe I misspoke. It is about acknowledging that baggage. Well, you know it in your head. Right, you know that that baggage is coming into the room every single time that baggage is coming into the room. So now it's how do you work with it? Maybe that's more appropriate. You know, we know it's there. So it's acknowledging it, not necessarily out loud, but in our own hearts. We know that it's there. So now what? So thank you for that. I just think that the notion of clearing that baggage is overwhelming to me. Yeah. And so I think acknowledge and tap into these strategies would be the way I would want to go. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could have physical bags, like brown lunch bags or bags or have somebody and just say, or if it's remote, you know, a bag and just say, take a few minutes and everything like the baggage that you're bringing with you and everything that's here, acknowledge it, put it in your bag. <laughs> so it's like, okay, yeah. you're here with your baggage, but you know. <laughs> It allows somebody to maybe to clear and go, okay, yeah, it's there. I mean, I can. <laughs> I, that's a great idea. I love that. And I love that for an asynchronous program. Mm -hmm. And then re-examine what you put in the bag at the end of the program. Mm -hmm. That's great, Maureen. Thanks. That's a wonderful idea. Totally going to steal that my next workshop. I think that's wonderful. 
you know, where people can say, I'm holding this in my heart and I'm going to let it go. I love that. Could they have an actual box or bag to drop that baggage into? Uh, thanks, Heather. I think that's a, a, a great addition. So you can have people, you know, put it into a bag and then maybe put that bag into a box that goes off to the side. I said, now we're putting all of our baggage aside. So I think that that's a great metaphor for that. Yeah, adding motion with thought. I love it. They could decorate the bag. <laughs> we can have all sorts of activities. Look at us, trainers go. We can have all sorts of activities with just the bag. Someone do a similar thing virtually right down. Okay. And so what was the direction? So Don, I'm looking at your chat statement. What was the direction that you gave them? It was something along those lines, like, we know you're coming into this space and this is just a part of your day and just a part of your work. And there's a lot of things that you're probably stressed about. You know, you've got deadlines, you've got challenges, work stuff, personal stuff. So whatever things that keep coming up in the forefront of your mind that are keeping you from focusing in this space, like just write them all down. You know, are you worried about your kid at school? Are you, you know, have you got a deadline tomorrow? And you're worried you're going to finish this report, like whatever the things are, write them all down. And then, yeah, just set it aside. And it just gave a moment. I think she gave us like two or three minutes to write stuff down. And it was just a nice transition into the space to be able to focus on the content of the session. And then you you could say, if you want to, you can always pick those post-it notes back up and carry them with you for the rest of the day. But at least you freed up your brain space for this hour, right? And I think that's an important acknowledgement. That's a really nice idea. Lillian, to build on Disco Friday music, we have a trainer who wraps the wrap up for some sessions. Oh, well, there's a talent I don't own, you know, but I think it is about setting the fun environment where appropriate. It's setting a communicative environment on the outset. So this is why I push when I say, what does participation look like? What's the expectation behind it? Because again, words mean different things to different people. So when we say we really want you to participate, what does that look like? Well, it starts here. Participation looks like this, and we're going to do an activity that helps you understand what open participation means, what safe participation means. And like you all have already said, it is about walking the talk, right? I think, Lillian, that's where we kicked it off. And I think that that's behavior modeling and that's what's required. All right. We are at the top of the hour already. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed this. You all had some really wonderful ideas in the chat. I couldn't keep up with the chat. So hopefully there weren't some outside questions that I missed. We always thank Ann for being with us because you guys know me. I'll get lost in the conversation and she's always great to be by my side during these chats. So I always appreciate your efforts. And thank you to all of you for joining. I know what I've got to do with my weekend. I've got stuff to go buy. I got things to go pack. I've got stuff to prepare for. I also got snow. But what's happening with your weekend? Anyone doing anything fun and exciting? or just fun, or just relaxing. Melanie over there, she's training a horse, it seems like. That's a beautiful dog, by the way. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. 
This was a fascinating conversation and one with many wonderful ideas to try. This is what I love about our community. This is a group that shares gracefully and discusses ideas with the intention of learning from each other, a very real representation of creating a safe haven for discussions. A big part of creating a safe haven, one that is psychologically safe for everyone, is that as L&D professionals, either in front of a virtual or live class, we have an understanding of our audience understanding their hopes, fears, and expectations. Because everyone comes to training with baggage, everyone. Therefore, are we communicating expectations appropriately to the group? Are we really clear in what we expect? Are we modeling examples? What I particularly enjoyed about this chat is how we backed into the ideas. First, we said, create a safe place for people to participate. But what does participation look like? How do we set the stage to be inclusive? And we discussed that most trainers have a ground rule around expecting everyone to speak up and participate. But what does that mean? What does speaking up mean? What does it look like? What about those people who don't feel comfortable Are we prepared with alternative methods of participation that don't put people in the limelight? Then we moved from setting expectations for participants to setting expectations for ourselves. How do we model behaviors we want to see? Are we accessible, visible, open? The chat box was busy with ideas and discussions. And Heather had a great point about trying to do away with the negative stigma about asking questions. Oftentimes asking questions equals I'm not smart or I'm not good. And it's important that we set the stage to dismantle that kind of thinking. I resonated with the discussions between Douglas and Jason about the use of anonymity in the class to express thoughts or to challenge discussions. There is a lot to process with this chat with so many ideas, and I hope you listen to this more than once. Well, you want to join us live? And I know you do. Go on over to learningrebels.com and check out the events page and sign on up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.